doctoral and PhD candidates. Thank you for joining us on Dissertation in 90 Days, a podcast created with you in mind. Our continued goal is to save you time, money, and stress. This podcast is made possible by your generous donations and sponsorships. Hey, I'm Dr. Anthony Robinson, and this is Dissertation in 90 Days, a show providing tips and strategies that will help greatly reduce the time you spend writing your dissertation. In the previous episode, I talked to you about six steps to writing a fail-proof proposal. Today, I want to talk to you about what typically makes up the first part of the proposal, the introductory chapter. A good introduction ultimately sets the tone for your dissertation and can be the difference between a good and bad proposal. We will talk about the different aspects of a good introduction and how you can make yours a great one. One of the things I suggested in the previous episode is that in most cases, your proposal will consist of your first three chapters. But let's take a look at what specifically goes into writing your introductory chapter. Chapter one is the foundation that ultimately drives the rest of your dissertation. Because of this, we work with our clients to ensure it's a complete empirical argument that fully explains what your study should be about. A dissertation requires a very structured and uniform style of writing that tends to go against some of the things you might have been taught earlier in your studies. For example, once you use a word or phrase in chapter one, you are expected to use the same word or phrase throughout your dissertation. This is especially the case with your purpose statement, problem statement, and research questions, as they will be repeated in other chapters verbatim using the very same wording. When writing your chapter one, keep in mind that you aren't writing for yourself, but for the reader. So using a consistent flow of thought and transitions will help your reader to keep track of what you are trying to communicate. We have found that each institution varies in some way regarding the template they use, but the contents of chapter one remain consistent. This is because your first chapter is an empirical or opening statement that introduces your proposed research. So on to the introductory paragraph. In your opening paragraph, you should begin by introducing your topic and by giving necessary background information regarding your research subject. It's important that you also contextualize your research and general interest area. What you will find is that a good introduction often consists of a discussion regarding the general field of interest in one or two paragraphs and ends with a sentence about what the study will accomplish. The reader should know this after reading just a few sentences. Then there is the background of the problem. The background of the problem section should consist of a brief two to four page summary of the major findings in the field of interest that cites the most current findings in the subject area. We recommend that clients have a minimum of two to three citations per paragraph in this section. Additionally, the background section should contain a summary of unresolved issues, conflicting findings, 
social concerns, educational, national, or international issues. The problem that should be addressed here is the gap in the knowledge. The focus of the background of the problem is where a gap in the knowledge is found in the current body of research. The statement of the problem arises from the background statement where you identify a gap in the knowledge discussed in previous paragraphs that review the most current literature found. A gap in the knowledge is the entire reason for your study. So be sure to state it specifically and exactly. Use the words gap in the knowledge, for example. The problem statement will contain a definition of the general need for the study and the specific problem that will be discussed. Next is your purpose of the study. The purpose of the study is a statement contained within one or two paragraphs that identifies the research design, such as qualitative, quantitative, mixed methods, ethnographic, or another design. For instance, here's an example of a good purpose statement. The purpose of this qualitative study is to explore the perceptions of first generation and low income students on what strategies they believe helped facilitate persistence in higher education. If you are conducting a quantitative study, the purpose statement should include the research variables that will be examined. For example, you will specify if your variables are independent, dependent, comparisons, or relationship-oriented, to name a few. You will also need to identify the location and population that will be used in your study, whether it is randomly or purposively. The next part of chapter one is the significance of the study. The significance of the study is a statement of why the research study is important, or in other words, why it matters anyway. What contribution to the body of knowledge will your study add? These are just a couple of questions that the significance of the study will answer. Additionally, this is described in detail in this section and will summarize who will be able to use the knowledge to make better decisions, improve policy, advance science, or other uses of the new information. After presenting the significance of the study comes the research questions. A good research study doesn't exist without a purpose, a problem, and overarching questions to be answered. The primary research question is therefore the basis for data collection and arises from the purpose of the study. We've seen studies with one question and others with as many as four questions. There may be one or there may be several. Ultimately, the contribution to the knowledge will be the answer to these questions. With that said, the research questions are not the same thing as the interview questions in a qualitative study. Next up, is the hypothesis if you are doing a quantitative study. A hypothesis is a testable prediction for an observed phenomenon, namely the gap in the knowledge. Each research question will have both a null and alternative hypothesis in a quantitative study. With that said, the research hypothesis is central to all research endeavors. 
At its most basic, the research hypothesis states what you expect to find and is the tentative answer to the research question that guides the entire study. Research hypothesis in a quantitative study takes a familiar form, one independent variable, one dependent variable, and a statement about the expected relationship between the two. Generally, the independent variable is mentioned first, followed by language such as explains or results in, and then the dependent variable follows. The ordering of the variables should be consistent across all hypotheses in a study so that the reader is not confused about the proposed ordering. This is one example of where you remain consistent throughout your dissertation. In the final segment, we will discuss the research design, the theoretical framework, the research assumption section, and the definition of terms. Research design. In chapter one, the research design consists of a summary of the methodology and contains a brief outline of the following three things. A, the participants are subjects in a research study. These can be both human or non-human. B, the instrumentation used to collect data. And C, the procedure that will be followed. All of these elements will be reported in detail in chapter three, where you discuss your methodology. In a quantitative study, the instrumentation will be validated in chapter three in detail. But in chapter one, you only summarize the design chosen. Next is the theoretical framework. The theoretical framework is the foundational theory that is used to provide a perspective upon which the study is based. There are hundreds of theories in the literature. For instance, if a study in the area of education is about improving classroom conditions for students with learning disabilities, Piaget's theory could be cited as a theory suggesting that cultural differences should have no effect on the sequence of stages. If your research examines a race-related subject, you might consider critical race theory. With that said, you could find discussion on the theoretical framework in both chapters one and two. Following the theoretical framework discussion is the assumptions, limitations, and scope section. Assumptions are self-evident truths. In a qualitative study, it may be assumed that participants be highly qualified in the area of study. It can also be assumed that participants will answer truthfully and accurately to the interview questions based on their personal experiences and that participants will respond honestly and to the best of their individual abilities. Limitations of the study are those things over which the research has no control. Evident limitations are potential weaknesses of the study. Researcher biases and perceptual misrepresentations are potential limitations in a qualitative study. In a quantitative study, a limitation may be the capability of an instrument to accurately record data. Scope, on the other hand, is the extent of the study that you expect to reach. In a qualitative study, this would include the number of participants, the geographical location, 
and other pertinent numerical data. In a quantitative study, the size of the elements of the experiment are cited. The generalizability of the study may also be cited. Delimitations are limitations on the research design imposed deliberately by the researcher. Delimitations in a social sciences study would be such things as specific school district where the study took place or in a scientific study, the number of repetitions. It could also be the fact that you decide to only include men or women in your study. The final part of your introduction chapter, not including your summary, is your definition of terms. The definition of terms is where you provide definitions for common terms of your study, terms that are part of the foundation. Once all of this is completed, the only thing left to do is to wrap up with a summary. The introduction is ultimately the entry point into your study and the segue to your literature review. Getting this right puts you on the right path to success. Well, that's it for today, folks. I created this podcast to provide you with tips, strategies, and even encouragement about a daunting process that if applied can greatly reduce your dissertation writing time. If you have any questions or you feel like you just want to get it done, feel free to write us at www.writerser.com. We would love to help you on your journey. Thank you so much for listening today. I can't wait to hear about your success. Until next time, I'm Dr. Anthony Robinson, and I'll be back with the next episode on Dissertation in 90 Days. Doctoral and PhD candidates, thank you for joining us on Dissertation in 90 Days, a podcast created with you in mind. Our continued goal is to save you time, money, and stress. This podcast is made possible by your generous donations and sponsorships.